Yeah, so hello everyone. This is our uh, eighth episode of uh, Bharat Pacific podcast series called Glocalize. Uh, this uh, week, in this week's sessions, we will be discussing Japan's national security strategy primarily. Then if the time permits, uh, we can jump into reformed multilateralism that uh, has been the that has been pitched under india's current chair chairmanship of uh, united nations security council so where is this going reformed multilateralism but primarily we will be focusing today on japan's national security strategy uh, so krishnan and abhivardhan uh, are currently have joined us have currently joined us krishnan and abhivardhan so uh, few days ago japan has uh, released its national security strategy and uh, there has been high reports saying that this is unprecedented whatever japan is trying to do has never been done before or at least uh, it is trying to reimagine its pacifist defense policy that it has built over the decades it is trying to uh, de facto kill its article 9 pacifist uh, clause of the constitution uh it is trying to maximize its defensive posture for its self defense post uh forces and uh, uh, other military capabilities it is trying to be more clear how china uh, how it should view china in the region how it should view russia in the north uh, what are the steps it should take uh, uh, in its neighborhood and beyond uh, basically and how it can pay basically improve its defense capabilities and it has also talked about uh, security uh, uh, other ways of uh, uh, building its security networks through official development assistance and all so f- f- first i will like to i would like to ask abhishek given that he also uh, focuses his research is primarily focused in east asia especially korea abhishek from korean point of view especially neighborhood point of view how significant is this new japanese national security strategy especially for the immediate neighborhood perspectives i am not talking about larger indo pacific but like north korea south korea uh, japanese cooperation with south korea uh, what it says about north uh, facing north korean threats or uh, russian threats or uh, chinese threats uh, in the in the region uh, uh thank you aditya for asking this question and i think it's very important to am audible yes you are you are uh, okay so uh, speaking from the korean perspective i would say uh, that uh, uh, that would be looked at from uh, two lenses there is a for example they uh, there is a conservative sides in in korea which would kind of um, appreciate it uh, appreciate in the sense that uh, they would welcome this uh, development because um, uh, as you know that uh, in korea there is a conservative um, party and there is the uh, liberal democratic party uh, which tends to be more progressive uh, and so the conservative one always tends to work very closely with the united states uh, and uh, would like to uh, resolve its issues like uh, regarding comfort women and sharing of for example military information with japan but on the other side uh there is the democratic uh, and the progressive people who have who still um, uh kind of uh, uh, put uh, the issues of legacy and colonialism uh, at the front end 
and because of lack of a trust deficit uh, they they view every development which comes out of japan with a, with a little bit of question mark like uh, they don't trust it so uh, from the conservative side that would be welcomed uh, because it would help uh, um, kind of uh, bring more closer relations because as i said before that uh, united states had uh, for a long time tried to make uh, the trying to work uh, out the relation between japan and south korea uh, but it had realized that uh, they themselves uh, this is something that the both country themselves had to invest upon and work closely so this uh, from that side they would uh, take this as a positive because uh, recently as a, uh, recently there is a shift in korea where more and more people have been uh, for example changing perspective in korea regarding uh, uh, china so earlier for example japan was uh, seen as a more the you know, opinion polls and surveys uh, japan used to be at the first spot uh, with regard with respect to negative opinions but now the china has slowly shift, uh, taken that place of the first place uh, with respect to negative opinion so there's certain section in korea which would like to appreciate it because that would uh, help to kind of uh, stop the hegemony of china in the broader region but also in east asia a uh, northeast asia where we see kind of uh, uh, because they see that the north korea they have china has not helped south korea in kind of um, uh, bringing north korea to the table or resolving this crisis but on the other hand the uh, the other part would also kind of view this uh, uh, with very sus- kind of suspicion and we ha- we have already seen there a lot of protest not lot but like a kind of protest by certain sections like ngos which thinks that um, uh, uh, the this kind of offensive or increasing of military budget would uh, would lead to for, for example more uh, he- kind of domination by japan in the region especially uh, with respect to korea uh, so these are the bo- two perspective which are kind of right n- now emerging uh, in the uh, korea but uh, but uh, j- just to conclude that the government uh, has uh, has a kind of uh, responded uh, to this uh, uh this document the nss and the nds uh because uh, the nss mentions the uh, uh, dokto island which is no which is in korea known as dokto and takashima in japan uh, it was mentioned in the document so that's why they kind of argued against it but um, uh, they the conservative government in korea right now has tried to kind of uh, make the relationship in a positive direction so overall the government has reacted uh, Uh, in a positive uh, positive perspective but uh, civil society uh, there is no there has been no concrete research uh, on based of which we, i can say that uh, it, it is perceived negative or positive that's all abhi var then now that abhishek has mentioned like how it has mentioned takashima and all like if we look from the other perspective also I, i was fascinated i mean not fascinated but kind of interest it was interesting to see that japan also quite focused uh, quite a lot of its text on highlighting russia's threat in the north and how it kind of put uh, ukraine whatever russia did in ukraine uh, may not be completely ignored and uh, it has highlighted uh the background with respect to sea of okhotsk i hope i pronounced it right uh, and how how the, like the the threat from strategic nuclear submarines from russia that may it, that russia may pose to it so i didn't 
I didn't anticipate it to focus even on Russia that much. So this is quite a comprehensive report in that sense, like not the conventional, okay, just North Korea, China. So Japan has put out every little possible threat it can face in, in like properly in letters and it has let it out into the document. Yeah, I mean, uh, a very interesting development that the Japanese have focused on, you know, Russians, the Russians' actions in Ukraine. And I think we can say that partly, obviously, due to the relations with the US and, you know, related countries, the Japanese have given such a statement. But beyond that, obviously, on a paradigm, when it comes to relationship with the Far East, yes, um, this is kind of... A reasonable signaling. Um, the tone, well, yes, uh, we have to understand that Japan's relationship with the US on the security front is obviously not the same as Japan's overall relationship with Russia. So there the differences definitely lie. But <clears throat> yes, I think if we look at the post Shinzo Abe times and we try to understand how you know Japan is moving forward with its strategy, at least we are given this connotation that their strategies are not just security oriented anymore, but obviously they have to, you know, give a high pedestal to security considerations because at least we can say that in comparison in the Asian region, Japan has a much better standing to at least go ahead with. So there we find a huge possibility. Um, I guess uh, Rishabh might be interested to add something if, yeah. Yeah, I would like to add an extra layer to it before uh, Rishabh joins in. So, are we seeing like the de facto end of Japan's pacifist defense posture? Basically, the constitutionally, Article 9 will remain for all practical purposes. But in terms of effectiveness or like defense preparedness, uh, uh, Japan will be like any other normal defense. Japan's defense will be like any other normal defense. Uh, are we in principle saying de facto end of pacifism in its defense posture. So that would be one element I would like Rishabh to also talk on. Rishabh, you would like to add any other points? Yeah. Hi, am I audible? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Thank you, guys. Uh, so, yes, I think it's, I mean, to be very honest, uh, the move towards, uh, you know, uh, kind of recalibrating its pacifist outlook uh, that has been happening for almost five, six years now, may, even before that. Uh, but I think what has happened is that with the national security, you know, the, the document, you also see uh, increased emphasis on or at least a very clear pathway to increasing spending by a very significant manner. And I think if you look at uh, what are the, you know, if you look at the breakdown of what they're actually going to spend the money on, Right, or at least whatever we can gather from the information that's out there in the public as of now. So they clearly talk about counterattack and you know counterattack capabilities. They talk about the U.S. defense system. They talk about missile. You know, not just reforming the missile command system, etc., but also uh, gaining or can kind of gathering or you know uh, basically making their more uh, their missile systems and you know their counterattacking capability giving them giving the giving that a proper boost and basically spelling out in a very clear fashion that this is the amount of money that they're going to spend in the next few years so that's of course that kind of gives you uh, tells you the intent is there and also that they have 
or at least they have put it out there that this is what they're going to do in the next five to ten years, right? Um, so from on that question, I think yes, the intent is very much there. They recognize the fact that uh, um, not just with with regards to what China is talking about or the rhetoric coming from China with regards to what's happening in Taiwan. But um, also with regards to what, as Aditya mentioned before, uh, how the Russia and China relationship is happening and how that is progressing. So that is, of course, a worry for them. But I think um, one thing which uh, probably we can expand on later, but I think it's very important to talk about, is the domestic reaction to not just the, not the security document per se, the security strategy, but the bedrock of uh, what makes this security strategy that much appealing. That is basically the defense, uh, you know, the, the the budget allocations and the rise in exp- uh, the the raise in expenditure that they have promised from 2027. Of course, there's a you know, immediate uh, rise in expenditure in the next, starting beginning with the next fiscal year. But they've also talked about um, almost $300 billion uh, spending outlay in the next five years and also mentioned about how they are going to double their uh, defense spending, you know, vis-a-vis in terms of GDP from 2027. So you, that is the bedrock of this national security strategy, which basically is, you know, giving it, giving this whole uh, new posture some credence, right? So we also have to look at how well it is being received in Japan. And I think this is something which a lot of people in India, of course, uh, haven't focused on uh, because, of course, you know, I mean, uh, the headline is very much appealing and as, as, it, as it should be. But if you go and look at what is the domestic reaction, the inter-party reactions, etc., it's actually... Everybody agrees that there has to be uh, increase in spending, but what you look at, if you if you closely look at it, they they're actually very critical of the current government uh, about how the rollout has happened and the promises the government has made on how uh, they will finance this uh, whole thing. So they've talked about uh, increase in tax or what is they're calling it. The government is calling it a defense tax on citizens. Uh, but then some of them have backtracked and said that, OK, you know what, maybe we are going to increase corporate tax to you know finance this. There's also been talk about issuing, uh, you know, doing this through bonds, through construction bonds, et cetera, et cetera. So point is that the financing part of it is not very clear. So it's good in terms of headlines. I'm not saying that it's 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 not going to happen. All I'm saying is there are that there are impediments and the, the criticism is not just coming from the dovish factions, et cetera. Um, as I said, everybody supports the fact that there needs to be increase in spending. But even Hawks and Hawks, who we were close to the uh, to uh, you know late uh, Shinzo Abe, even they have kind of criticized you know the LDP leadership, especially Kishida, that you know the rollout has not really spelled out how these uh, funds are going to be allocated or where are we going to see some spending cuts? Because again, three hundred billion dollars or more than that in the next five years, as they are saying, uh, that's, uh, you know, I mean, we, we, we do know that almost 25% of uh, um, their expenditure, government expenditure goes into servicing debt. And again, Japan is a wealthy country and they can, of course, uh, they have a stable currency, etc. And their growth outlook is ex- uh, also looking great. But the point is that we have to look at the nitty gritties as well. 
but yeah, overall, in in terms of the intention and the posturing, the signal that they are trying to send out to not just China but the entire region uh, is very encouraging. From uh, not just India's point of view, but others as well. They have also talked about uh, joint fighter production with uh, countries like UK, Italy, etc. Uh, so clearly, that they have recognized the fact that you know. Uh, moving away even though technically that that article in the constitution is still there uh, they've realized that this the signaling has to be- begin very uh, you know soon uh, so uh, you know that's pretty much uh, i mean what i've gathered but yeah uh, i will say though that uh, there are a lot of again just just to put it out there that there are a lot of uh, you know misgivings about Uh, how that money is going to come in so i think that's something that we'll have to look at you know a bit more closely so krishnam uh, i would like you to come in here like uh, rishabh has highlighted that uh, they envision 320 billion dollars of uh, defense expenditure over the course of next 5 years uh, they have talked about joint uh, joint preparations for coast guard and self defense forces and in emergency situations defense ministry will take entire con- like control of coast guard in case it is needed and uh, there is a talk about de- joint ventures in defense tech terms so do you think japan has that level of defense uh, technical capabilities to match the ambitions where does japan's defense tech as you follow defense technology closely where does its capabilities lies and what are the challenges it is it is likely to face to meet i mean in terms of the funding rishabh has already covered but in terms of technological capabilities what are the challenges it is likely to face yeah uh, thanks aditya can you hear me yes yes yeah okay uh, so in terms of uh, technical capabilities i think it's kind of a spread when it comes to japan uh, companies like mitsubishi uh, kawasaki they have quite a bit of experience in some of the precision engineering that is required for aerospace and defense and uh, you know decades of uh, collaborating with the american just a second uh, yeah. i mean you are audible but your voice is not uh, entirely clear so is it possible to like uh, okay hold on yeah yeah at uh, before we go back to krishnan's question i think uh, we can for a few minutes uh, i think we can, can you hear go me? to can you hear me now yeah yeah, yeah. it's more clear okay. now you can continue yeah so uh, in terms of technical technological capabilities japan does have uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, you know niche expertise in specific areas so the way japan has gone about is uh where the us is kind of has been ready to share technologies uh till probably the mid of last decade japan has been more than happy to just take those technologies and uh, focus more on you know uh, uh internalizing the manufacturing process i think it's echoing yeah you can continue yeah uh, kind of internalizing the manufacturing process so uh, if you look at it uh, japan has quite a bit of expertise now in submarines uh, in kind of overall system design for fighter aircrafts uh, those kind of things but they do still lack quite a bit on electronics 
uh, I mean, you would be surprised, but uh, uh, although Japan is ahead in certain kind of electronics, but uh, they are actually behind India itself in certain kind of radar technologies and, uh, you know, seekers, those kind of things. So uh, the latest update from the uh, joint uh, fighter program between uh, U- the UK, Italy and Japan, uh, they have the UK has clearly spelled out that uh, BAE systems will be the lead partner in the program. Uh, they will be kind of leading the overall system design and uh, uh, overall configuration. And uh, they have told Japan that uh, you guys are not uh, you guys do not have the competence to be kind of uh, equal shareholders or like uh, equal decision makers in the entire process. So I think that should kind of tell us where Japan is. But there are very many areas where uh, Japan is kind of ahead of many other uh, aerospace and defense peers. So like transport aircraft, uh, those kind of things. So uh, I think that's where uh, Japan is right now. It is like a middle power where uh, it has kind of uh, specific capabilities in very specific areas, much where it is much ahead of most of its uh, military peers like India or South Korea or Turkey. But there are very many areas where it is kind of uh, lagging to say like it is not at the level where it, you can call it as a self-sufficient uh, MIC. Um, so... I think that's and I think that is part of the reason why, if you look at the uh, national security national security guidelines, uh, there is a very specific segment about technology sharing, where they have gone about spelling out how they are going to do technology sharing, and they have kind of create carved out a separate area where uh, they are going to look at the technologies. Uh, that will not be under UN sanctions or that is not going to lead to a weapons of mass destruction uh, and then there is one more clause. If it is not there, then the Japanese government will take a call and will be happy to kind of uh, do a technology cooperation. So that is kind of a very big step for Japan and it is ready to do that because it is obviously expecting technology in return uh, to fill its own gaps. Uh, thanks for that, Krishnan. Uh, Abhishek, uh, you raised uh, your hand uh, earlier. Can you chip in what you wanted to share? Uh, uh, yes, uh, I would like to also add one thing. I think uh, uh, th- th- there was also this earlier, I think this year, uh, when Germany also announced kind of increasing its defense budget. That was also seen as a marked shift. Uh, but in respect to Japan, I would say that if you read the national security strategy and I like, uh, I read it whole when it was released, uh, the, the main uh, feeling which you get from that is uh, uh, it's not a kind of a shift for me. This is my personal opinion, but if you kind of see, because uh, if you uh, go in details and, uh, for example, focus on what are the priorities uh, where Japan uh, talks about its strategic approaches, uh, the kind of references which it has detailed in this uh, this national security strategy, which uh, focuses on comprehension, uh, comprehensive national power, it gives a preference of for first is about its domestic capabilities, followed by defense, then economic, technology, and intelligence. So in that sense, Japan still uh, f- uh, kind of uh, 
it's it's not uh, if you compare for example japan more closely to um, uh, other other allies like australia of uh, us um, then it will be very different because japan uh, japan still believes in for example the primacy of un uh, un charter or united nations when it comes to resolving of peace conflict so in that context uh, it uh, the policy or the uh, for example uh, the way it reacts to certain developments in in the pacific or broader in global level it pre- it give preferences for example um, uh, united nation or un security council to resolve those issues with its partner allies uh, in the region uh, as opposed to uh, america which would uh, take a very different approach on these issues and on if you go also uh, like in the uh, nss it talks about how you uh, regarding the how to achieve strategic goals it mentions uh, firstly the focus on diplomacy to achieve the points uh, that is to strengthen us japan alliance maintain uh, of free indo pacific strengthen it also mentions about uh, strengthening diplomacy with china and dprk and um, then uh, kind of uh, talking about how uh is uh, read a little bit efforts on odn um, non proliferation disarmament and then comes the uh, uh the strengthening of its defense uh, japan's defense uh, uh, this architecture whole of all so overall if you see it it's not a very offensive in that sense it's a still a very defensive policy if you um, read it very carefully so before we enter into like discuss uh... china and larger uh, indo pacific beyond the immediate neighborhood krishnan please chip in yeah i i just like to add here that uh, if you look at the national security strategy guidelines uh, you would see that india has been uh, written together along with australia south korea uh, and other allies so i think that is a very significant uh, point for us as indian Uh, to take note that where uh, we figure in japan's overall strategic calculations and the second most interesting thing that i found is the focus on intelligence now japanese intelligence is not uh, well known like uh, its capabilities are mostly on the electronic side so when it says that it is going to focus on intelligence uh, is it going to get into more and more human intelligence that would be really interesting to see because japan's intelligence are very uh, defensively focused and uh, it is not it relies heavily on uh, american and uh, other allied nations intelligence for its own security at least until now uh, so rishab uh, in this document we see china being mentioned 32 times even though it talks about cooperation with china like we should do this with china that with china it is quite clear like it says china it's its primary threat and it spells out what are the likely threats it is likely to face from all those uh, aspects so can you please uh, elaborate on like so basically was this document uh, just clearly putting out articulating very well what all the other uh, japanese politicians have been just commenting here and there randomly in the last few years and everything came together in a structured way and it put clearly everything out there basically uh, where it stands basically vis-a-vis china yeah i mean in some ways yes but i mean as you said it's kind of uh, the i think why is it a shift or it's 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 not a shift i would say it is as you said it's basically a consolidation of of what has been happening with regards to japan and how it's being how it is itself seeing it its role in the region 
and how it's perceiving the threats right so this time the the point here is that naming china as you know uh, the biggest strategic challenge right and again see the word that that it's being used that you they're saying they're calling china uh, the biggest strategic challenge not a threat or a competitor or a rival etc they're calling it a strategic challenge and they're doing so and they're putting it basically before north korea and russia now of course that's uh, to many people that would be kind of obvious but again you have to remember that if you look very closely again uh, read the strategy n- not just in you know by itself but also look at what they've mentioned in the defense posture etc they talk about uh, preemptive uh, attack capabilities they talk about you know uh, the idea uh, this idea that you know is this the possession of having a strike back capabilities indispensable right uh, as deterrence to discourage enemy attacks so in some ways i think this is not about i mean it's it is about shoring up its defense capabilities uh, it's about investing in things like even cybersecurity for that matter right if you look at again the allocation the outlay almost 7 billion dollars is it's supposed to be uh, allocated to cybersecurity etc so i think it's more of uh, an understanding and articulation of what they are going to do in the next 5 to 10 years um, and i would say again i would mention the fact that it's it's not a shift but it's a shift in the sense that they are now clearly articulating things or saying things which they would have not have said uh, 5 to 10 years ago and i think there is a sense of urgency which you see uh, not just through the document itself but in terms of what they have pledged to do now again as uh, abhishek mentioned that uh, spending pledges are not i mean they have to you know you cannot take them uh, all at face value but japan i think has a better record and i mean the accountability mechanisms there in their polity is very high but again i would just like to mention that the amount that is pledged does not it does not necessarily mean that that will eventually materialize in reality uh, again if you follow japanese politics even a little bit you know that increasing of taxes is a very sensitive political issue governments actually like literally you know uh, fall apart and as we know that uh, uh, you know small here and there policy changes can lead to uh, a replacement of not just a, of a party per se but replacing a leader in their polity in their system is is very easy so uh, i think there is yes there is a sense of urgency in terms of how china is posturing uh, with uh, visa vis taiwan uh, there's also a growing influence uh, you know that they are seeing over uh you know uh, what japanese perceive to be you know china's uh, you know china's growing influence on russia and also by the way russia's willingness to actually uh you know uh, basically use that and kind of push uh push the the japanese a little bit more uh again you also have to remember and i think abhishek knows this better than others about how the china north korea really how china uses north korea as a you know as 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 a as a lever in the region i mean let's not forget almost 30 ballistic missiles were fired uh, over japan over japanese airspace by north korea which is not a small thing right it's 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 something uh, i mean 
I mean, not all of them flew over Japan. I think few of them flew over Japan. But the point is that uh, they did end up in Japanese waters, etc. So I think there is a re- understanding that you know now we need to clearly articulate a, uh, you know some sort of a vision, uh, get and uh, you know ha- have kind of a bipartisan uh, kind of uh, you know support around it, gather that, you know articulate articulate things accordingly. So on that front I think it does really well. It can you hear me? I'm audible. Yeah yeah you're clearly audible. Yeah. So on on, on those on those factors I think it 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 clears clearly spells out certain things it talks about you know it counter strike capability you know it talks about even you know I mean they also have said I mean there are of course going to be some tensions with uh, South Korea of course. uh but i think overall i think this is a good start you know the fact that they are talking about deployment but, but i would like to intervene here but do you also think like uh, japan is trying to take uh, advantage of the situation where uh, in the past one year or it is likely to be for even i think six months at least one two years china is kind of muted at the moment it is busy with its own domestic stuff so it's is it like china uh, japan taking advantage of the situation I, I, like it, I, first of all i don't i don't think china is really muted i mean if you see um um uh, the foreign ministry spokesperson reaction it actually they actually called out i i i remember reading this and they actually uh, ac- accused japan of ignoring facts and deviating from its commitment of having a common understanding etc and you know the fact that they clearly named china as the biggest strategic challenge etc uh, that did not really go well so i don't think china is holding back per se but uh, i i think i think what what you're referring to is the idea is why they chose to do it now and you're implying that they chose to do it now because there's so much happening right uh, possibly that could be one thing but i think more than the idea that you know this is something that they're doing because there is so much happening and this will kind of go under the table and nobody notices that much there i mean at least there won't be so much bruhaha etc but i think it's more than that i think they understand the fact that this is something that is that they don't have that much time right especially again remember when we talk about uh, geographical uh, proximity uh, when we talk about you know the fact that india is a little hesitant on pivoting towards uh, the united states a little you know there there's some sort of hesitancy because we live in a certain region and the geographical proximity with regards to china with regards to you know other countries in the region you have to look at where japan is located now i think from from their perspective they have too many players and and again they also see at the same time that united states of america i mean uh, i i don't know if uh, abhishek uh, uh, maybe abhishek can elaborate on it but Uh, even south korea has uh, you know the america has been actually getting some of its armaments or at least a part of uh, i think it was uh, some artillery shells etc from south korea because you know they are having some of the problems right now i'm not saying this is going to be a huge problem later on all i'm saying is that i think japan also realizes that uh, although us uh, security guarantees are there and they will probably increase over the years um, i think they realize that a lot of it has to be done by them that this is not going to be enough right so they have to pull themselves up in that sense so more than you know trying to taking take advantage of the situation i think they are reading the situation and understanding that uh, whatever um, 
little bit of advantages that they had in the region i mean they basically say they basically looking at it and they are they thinking that they are more insecure i mean they are living in a more insecure world an uncertain world and uh, aligning basically a lot of policies with the united states of america i mean i mean clearly we see a shift uh, in general in terms of public posturing right so i don't think it's advan- i don't think it's taking advantage it's just basically trying to get on with things as quickly as possible in a very dangerous region so uh, we are joined by rajpatam uh, rajpatam garu do you have any question or comment yeah it's a kind of uh, for me is a question so i was wondering uh, see japan it's uh, uh, japan is a small country the, the ultimately the today's uh, uh, technology world the defense is like you should be able to survive very much the enemy attack if you have a large land mass then you will have some kind of capability to survive and still you know go attack japan if japan is can evaporate just by attack of like say the china so my my questions my theories might be silly but i'm just wondering how this kind of play if china can even the american security guarantees will come but china defend successfully the Ch- american attack and then uh, clean up the japan so japan is a risky guy america is very long and they don't they have enough you know they can secure themselves but the same thing doesn't apply the small country like japan so you have to survive the enemy's attack and then still you have to damage enough the other side i'm not sure the japan has can do that uh, you know surviving themselves and attack and cleaning up other uh, enemy side you just uh, i think just this is no i think you you're right to say that it is a challenge or a harder like it's a basically a bigger challenge for a smaller country but again i think this is where exactly the security strategy comes in and this is how they spell out the fact that they need to emphasize or basically increase their spending on second strike capabilities uh, the fact that they they they're clearly talking about that they're talking about even you know uh, increasing or you know by by a significant margin having more munitions depot etc you know all these counter you know the all these contingencies are kind of uh, i mean i think the japanese themselves understand it but it's not that easy as you said that oh that you know they'll strike i mean uh, one one country cannot just strike that's why they're talking about uh, more uh, spending more on air defense system they're talking about you know tomahawks etc so you know their missile strike capabilities it's not going to be as easy as as you pointed out that's a little simplistic in my opinion uh, that you know uh, th- there's a reason why uh, us security guarantees is not just us troops on the ground but also uh, very very cutting edge uh, weapons and systems that are there that are in place and again it's not just about uh, striking and ending things i mean the 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 country which is on the defensive also has the capabilities and of course you also have to look at you know the fact that why would china want to start an invasion of mainland japan i mean that's going to be no, a huge no thing. i'm not saying uh, so, i'm not saying that is possible but you know it's uh, it's uh, you never know like in you know, a down the line 10 10 years i mean you so, never know but then years. at the same time yeah. you know it's it's not it's not as easy as you're making it sound making yeah, yeah, it sound like so it's not easy i'm understand that it's i'm i'm very much aware that these things are not uh, sharp and unless china is really goes rogue and they, for them also a lot of stake at the end because it's uh, Uh, destroying every uh, trade and commerce and business their whatever the economic progress they made it's like uh, throwing away all those progress 
and i can understand the stakes are very big i am just wondering the japan case is something you know it's security wise ultimately you know it's something i just like this is one of the possibility kind of i just uh, throw up the question how they can successfully uh, defend and also the attack the guy the, the aggressive uh, aggressively so just uh, want to have this uh, question uh, here from you yeah um thanks for that um anybody who wishes to ask any question do can ask questions you know so yeah i think we can continue aditya yeah before i continue into india and indo pacific does anyone like to further add to uh, raj patangaru's uh, question or like shall we continue okay i may just Krishnan? add here that uh, yeah yeah uh, let me just add here that the us uh, guarantee for japan security is very watertight at this point of time and uh, we are seeing increased us strategic bombers deployment to uh, the islands around japan including australia guam and the british indian ocean territory so the americans are not going to be just sitting around if china even just tries to attack the point for sure and thank you krishnan so next i think uh, i would like to focus on india a bit so uh, as it was mentioned earlier that uh, krishnan i think it was krishnan who mentioned that uh, uh, apart from australia us uh, and uh, south korea it was india that has been highlighted as one of the possible like minded partners that japan would like to work with it has proposed many joint drills uh, joint collaborations and uh, japan already does uh, joint exercises with uh, india and it has also focused on so a lot of other aspects now given that uh, uh, last week we have seen uh, we have got the news that there was another clash uh, in the eastern front of our border with china how assured will be india with this document from japan abhivardhan like what it means for india i know like directly india and japan won't ally militarily but how assured india will be with this signaling of japan abhivardhan yeah um okay i actually tried to hear but i think there was some a little bit of a network issue so if you can just quickly repeat the question yeah yeah uh, what i meant is like uh, abhishek uh, has highlighted uh, how uh, the neighbors especially the korean neighbor in the uh, has re- received uh, japan's document and we have discussed china how china has reacted and all i want to know how india will receive the document we have seen india has been highlighted as one of the like minded partners in the document uh, for japan along with korea australia and uh, us and uh, we have also seen that uh, china recently uh, there was another clash in the eastern front of indian border with china so h- how assured will india be in this background like okay the another like minded partner like japan has come out with a clear cut strategy so where does india stand in the japan's yeah. vision and how assured will so, india be sure. first of all obviously a good news for the quad because again a very important member of the quad has actually come up with a concrete strategy and japan is like a long horse in the sense that they have been very experienced in this and now they're doing it pretty well now one thing which i would like to highlight is that india and japan are set to conduct their first ever bilateral combat air exercise over 10 days which will happen in japan by the name of we are we are guardian 23 so obviously when the mea would look at the document 
they would definitely be satisfied and uh, from a far east and look east aspect in security and naval upfronts i think this is a good news for india because we have to understand that india is very much a naval power here and uh, india japan and potentially even france as a resident power in the indo pacific would be you know very integral to you know maintaining maritime security or at least proceeding with avenues over maritime security uh france would also take this in a positive on a positive note honestly don't know about the uk i can't say about germany i can't say about the rest of the countries but france and india definitely they would take it in a much positive manner so um let us see i think uh, these bilateral if, uh, once if this starts the bilateral exercise as it is planned i think it would be a positive development i hope that you know the covid situation in china doesn't affect health situation and so so forth but i don't think it does affect but still let us see i mean I, i'm up to at least i can say i'm optimistic about it yeah small small point here i think uh, one thing which we would be interested in and which is um can you hear me yes yes we can hear you yeah yeah sorry uh so i think one thing which india or indians in general would be interested in and i think others in the region as well is that despite these this 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 kind of shift so to speak uh the successive governments in japan have been a little um uh, hesitant when it comes to actually uh, exporting armaments that are uh, deemed to be kind of offensive weapons right because that is something again you as you will know uh things like uh, intercontinental ballistic missiles or technology with to do with long range bombers etc you know there are some parts of um pacifism uh, traditional pacifism which sometimes even if again you're talking about um increasing your own defense uh, you know uh, capabilities etc or you know uh, having that kind of uh, deterrence cap- capability um we also we also would like to see or i mean it will be interesting to see what happens on that front so arms export or that control uh, that 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 has been uh, the technical hold so to speak that is going to be interesting whether japanese or japanese uh, are going to kind of uh, you know take their foot off the pedal and be more open to share technologies or uh, what they call what they see uh, deem to be offensive weapons uh, that's something i think we should be looking at from an indian perspective i mean again uh, this is something that um, uh, as you pointed out i mean partnership etc and you know exercises and all are one thing uh, but uh, not just with india but you know other countries in the region whether they will be able to uh, they will be able to you know work on that front that's that's important i think that that should be something which we should keep in mind and would like to add uh, anything more to this uh, india viewpoint yes abhishek i think just to add uh, i think recently uh, th- this was a news uh, this year only i think japan allowed uh, export of some lethal defense equipments to many countries i think approximately 10 or 12 countries uh, in which india was also there um, uh, kind of moving it from its uh, 2014 provision which kind of limited exports only to those countries which used to joint manufacture uh, but also to um, add one thing i think uh, which uh, i think abhi vardhan mentioned regarding that uh, i think we i think all these developments need to be looked at from a kind of bird's eye view where 
different countries in their own areas and regions uh, keeping their domestic uh, politics in mind are trying to uh, enhance their deterrence capabilities through conventional military and even like nuclear weapons uh, so these these all uh, puzzles kind of uh, fragments kind of fits into this puzzle of the broader changes which is happening into the in the region uh, so where india also doing its own bit and uh, we also see australia kind of uh, australia like signing a aukus deal with and also uh, japan now uh, so all these uh, developments tr- kind of fit into this one thread where we see ca- the, all these uh, countries in the region specifically the quad members are trying to uh, level up their game uh, kind of building the capabilities of military but also to one point which i think we didn't discuss was uh, regarding the domestic which uh, risha mentioned uh, i think there was uh, a survey report which uh, survey done in japan in which there was a lot of op- opposition uh, to this um, uh, for example because earlier it was said that they would increase taxes but later it was kind of delayed uh, uh, and that report mainly mentioned uh, i think it was around uh, 65 65% of the uh, people kind of opposed this uh the the reasons and for example uh, uh, and some people uh, were not satisfied with the reasons given by prime minister yes uh, 65% respondent uh, it was a survey done by kyodo uh, uh, opposed the raising of military spending and 87% uh, said that the explanation was not sufficient for increasing this tax so i i think it's all it's all these development which happens in the region like the, these big tickets announcements like raising of um this military expenditure or occurs for the submarines these are uh, these are not very smooth processes because as democratic countries these all uh, internal issues also needs to be handled properly so i think these are uh, like 10 decades uh, sorry one decade plans which which will take around 10 years to kind of smoothen out uh, with all these and also one one more point with krishnan mentioned regarding intelligence um, i think if you fee, if you follow intelligence uh, capability of japan it's very fragmented like uh, like uh, uh, like other countries which have a kind of centralized agencies uh, if you follow japan japan centralized uh, the intelligence agency it's very if you compare it with the countries it's not uh, the efficiency of these agencies are very not good so like focusing and mentioning them into the nss kind of uh, talks about how that uh, going forward they will uh, kind of uh, smoothen this process of how then all these agencies which are working ar- around different ministries right now they may work for different ministries and uh, there is no centralized uh, head co- kind of a reporting mechanism uh, in japan basically uh, so that kind of also makes their coordinations very poor in that sense so uh, i think the, this kind of gives a very hol- holistic and comprehensive view going forward how the way forward uh, they'll go uh, kind of building the capabilities yeah before, before krishnan chip in i would like to add uh, another point uh, the, and that is for krishnan so we have seen that in the aukus case we have seen nuclear powered submarine being like uh, at the center of that cooperation so i know japan has a very peculiar history with uh, the nuclear uh, capabilities history like everyone knows about it so what is the maximum japan is likely to push like in terms of its match uh, defense technological explorations will it of course it will not go into like the Uh, nuclear bomb exploration but will it be open to something like nuclear powered submarine at least at that level or japan won't even be touching that i, I want to understand what is the max it can push basically so krishnan like uh, th- please continue with the point you wanted to make and uh, can you answer this also 
Yeah. Uh, I'll just uh, answer your question first. Uh, are you able to hear me? Yeah, but can you uh, correct? Like, uh, you, uh, I think your uh, voice is like earlier. Like, it's a bit not entirely clear. Can you hear now? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. uh so uh, to answer your question first i think uh, japan will not touch the nuclear propulsion aspect even though uh, it is not related to a weapons of mass destruction uh, characteristic to it uh, i think it will still stick to uh, conventional submarines as much as possible uh, i see the whole development of uh, lithium ion based propulsion as uh, one of the kind of uh, hedging against the need for a nuclear propulsion uh, in future uh, but where i see uh, J- japan going out of its comfort zone is that uh, it seems it, it is more interested in focusing on autonomous technologies uh, ai enabled uh, technologies and cyber security uh, that is a place where uh, japan seems to be very much interested in growing its own capabilities uh, to a very serious level and it is in discussions with the us uh, on on these technologies at a very uh, very serious level so uh, that is the first aspect uh, can you just hold on an ambulance is crossing so i'll just mute myself for a second so before krishnan chip in anyone would like to have their final comments i think after krishnan comments i think we will end with the session so rishabh abhishek abhivardhan okay krishnan continue yeah sorry uh the other points that i wanted to add is that see uh there is a similarity between uh, japan and india's outlook when it comes to foreign policy i'm not talking about what we look at but the horizon that both india and japan look at like for the next 10 years or the next 15 years uh that is something where there is a lot of congruence between japan and india so we usually if japan has come to the conclusion that india is going to be a serious partner then we can be sure that it is after a long consideration and it is for uh, quite a, a long term or a medium term or a long term thinking unless uh, unlike let's say the us that kind of things for the next 3 years or the next 5 years something like that uh, so that is an important uh, point to note that we will see more uh, as this as this cooperation grows we will probably see more alignment of uh, thoughts and issues when it comes to india and japan on this because both both of us as civilizational nations we tend to think of uh, the whole world from a very uh, long term perspective so yeah now i would like to take final comments uh, everyone anyone like to like uh, say anything as your final comments on the whole document rishabh abhishek um i would like to just conclude by saying that uh, like we have discussed all the positives which have uh, come out of the document but i would also like to say that um, uh, uh, as the region becomes more uncertain with rise of china's military capabilities they would all it will also becomes more polarized so countries like russia and north korea will definitely take uh, sides Uh, and we already know on which side they will be so it is it will not be that uh, countries um, uh, will only be against china as per se uh, but uh, yes overall uh, if you see the uh, steps taken by japan and the what's mentioned in nss it's very uh, i am very optimistic uh, 
that these countries will be able to counter uh, china with with the capabilities they have right now so that's it then uh, if uh, rishab or abhyardhana krishnan doesn't want to add anything so that's it for today listeners uh, abhyardhan will share uh, where you all can access the podcast the audio basically uh, abhyardhan can you inform the sure. listeners so all the recordings are available on spotify you can just search the bharat pacific on spotify and you will get all of our podcast sessions including the interviews we have had a spectacular interview with uh, sana hashmi from taif and we had discussed about um, taiwan india relations europe taiwan relations and even indo pacific and taiwan perspectives very interesting discussions i must say from the outset so feel free to hear them uh, we also have a youtube channel which is uh, the bharat pacific obviously so you can go and uh, the handle username the youtube handle username is bharat pacific so you can find us out there otherwise also our website is there available which is bharatpacific.com where you can go to spotify and you can find our discourse we will publish the podcast maybe in some time very soon yeah so i would like to thank uh, krishnan for his insights i would like to also uh, thank abhivardhan uh, rishab and uh, abhishek to join uh, for joining us and i would also like to thank uh, Uh, Mr Rajpattam for asking his question and i would like to thank for listeners to joining us so that's it for this week uh, we will inform our, about our next uh, topics and next session whenever it, it is going to happen uh, through the bharat pacific platform on twitter so that's it for today signing off thanks krishna thank you